HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the show Life's a Banquet, the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible. Starring your hosts, me, Brenton Scott, and me, Zara Tangora. A show about ostrich and wine and dough. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, banquet. Welcome to Life's a Banquet podcast, the podcast about the highs and lows of everything edible, spreadable, and pourable, starring your hosts, Brett and Scott, and Zara Tangora. Hi. 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 Nice Hi. to have you on again, folks and listeners. <laughs> what? what? What are you laughing at? <laughs> Nothing. Everything's normal. Yeah, everything's normal. Yeah, this... everything's just fine and normal. Everywhere great. No one's fighting. No one's upset. Nobody's mad. The world is perfect. Nothing's oh. going on. Oh, uh, well, cheers. Cheers. Everything's on fire. Uh, uh, that's why we're drinking martinis. Gin classic delicious martinis with an olive. Mm. Oh, my God. It goes down uh, so smoothly and easily. That's right. Relaxing. Grammy's cold medicine, you know. Taking the month off. That's how my grandmother talked. <laughs> Grammy's cold medicine. Well, everybody, welcome to, it is a July here in New York City. Thick, thick July heat. It is a real thick one out there. I mean, you could practically, Azara, what did your dad say? Swimming through pea soup? He used to say it's like swimming through pea soup. And you know why? It's because he loved making pea soup. So to him, everything was about pea soup in some way or another. I suppose that would create a very nice resistance. Yeah. I mean, it would probably be wonderful to swim through. It would be like one of those, you know, do you ever see a pool where like the the jets shoot at you. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a tiny, tiny pool, but you're just being like pushed back. So that's basically what swimming through PC would be like. Yeah. And I think the the bonus for that is really the visibility that you would get when you're inside of it. Yeah. The vi- <laughs> exactly. It's very, you have to wear very, very thick goggles with mm-hmm. windshield wipers on them. Yeah. It was weird when he would equate it to like my love life. I'd be like, dad, I'm having a problem in my relationship. He'd be like, Z, it's like- relationships are like pea soup. <laughs> They're full of ham. Ham. Sometimes a mushy carrot. That's right. Be like, so anyway, you want some pea soup? <laughs> I love a pea soup with a martini. It was cute. Every time I, I ever went to go visit him, though, because he moved down to Asheville, North Carolina, uh, after a uh, lifetime on Long Island. And every time I'd go visit him, winter, summer, spring, or fall, there was a, a bubbling pot of pea soup on the stove really? when I arrived. Yeah. And he made the the best. It was delicious. The best pea soup. Absolutely. Do you have the recipe? Yeah. 
I do. Well, how about that? I got a lot of his recipes uh, when I was cleaning out his house after he died. He had his old cookbooks. And that's that's one of the greatest things to get passed down, don't you think? I think, Recipe yes. Books? I love that. So I... I do a lot of estate sale shopping and I, that's my Yes, favorite. you do. The first thing I do, you know, when it's like, Brett and Scott, come on down. It's like, and I run into the sta- the, the house and you're like, <laughs> oh, what a weird house. The first thing I do, I run into the kitchen <laughs> and, like, and I look for the cookbooks. That's smart. Because I, you know, it's always that one you both put your hand on the first copy. Like of, you and some old, old woman, yeah, like, kind of like that scene in Seinfeld when they're fighting for the marble rye. Yeah. Give me that best of quiches 1989 <laughs> all recipes book it was su- southern living that was a they always had a lot of <laughs> you're like look over there is that a pile of yarn and she like looks away for a minute and you just snatch it yeah. and run right out oh my goodness it's fiesta wear <laughs> it's classic pink orange fiesta wear all oh, right mm. <laughs> Breton, what's going on with you this week as though i don't already know Bretton, I haven't seen you in about two hours. What's going on? Well, yeah, it was a really wonderful week. Very, again, middle of summer. I have been, I have to tell myself not to cook. And you know what I'm I'm doing right now? Yeah. Well, I'm not doing a lot. I, yeah. Do you know what I'm doing right now? I'm drinking a martini. No, this week, I don't want to turn my oven because, for obvious reasons. Because yeah. uh, in this 290 square foot apartment, if you turn the oven on, it Get it negates the any work that your air conditioner has done, and it gets so hot, and uh, you know, it's just not a good idea. So what are you but doing? It, well, are you I cooking? Turn, well, I still bake some bread. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you turn the oven <laughs> so up I to five hundred for four hours. I oh, bake, did you use the bread starter from? I used the bread star- starter. Uh, you know what? I tried a cold ferment oh, for two days. So I, I did a bulk ferment first. For those of you for sourdough bread making, it's it's just it's, I use the tartine bread method, which is. Mm very common. I mean, that's a one of the wonderful ways. And you do a bulk ferment, so you let it rise for three, four hours. You don't need the bread. Here's the starter. And then after the bulk ferment, I decided, I read that you could put it in the refrigerator. Oh, and wow, after that's that, I shaped it. And it did, tur- it did rise and turn out, it was very sour. The, I bet the starter is very, very the old starter, and funky. That's Herman. Starter is, yeah, Herman. And you know what? Herman is a trooper. Yeah, Herman is the name of the starter. We'll we'll feature Herman on one episode. He's going to be like just really interesting. But I have this this bread starter. What probably five, six, seven years old now. The bread starter probably started in the year. It's like seven years old. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time we made bread with it. It was like a flat, flat pancake, and I was so excited that we made bread at the restaurant. And I slathered it in butter. And I'm like, this is delicious. And thinking a back, flat un- <laughs> it was <laughs> it like a worst. tortilla. It was gross. <laughs> But anyway, well, you know what? You gotta, you know, bread. How do you get better? How do you get better at bread baking? Uh, by breaking go to bread. Bianqui. By baking oh. bread. <laughs> That's the old thing. Like, how do you get better at, at anything? By yeah, by doing, doing it. it. By pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you Pull do it. Pull yourself at- together and get that bulk ferment. Get that fermenting going now. I made I half of it. I I have and I made some pizza dough, which I baked on my baking steel. Ooh. And for those of you who don't know, you should definitely buy a baking steel it's just a piece of steel well, <laughs> <laughs> that is intended for why baking. couldn't you just steal some steel why should we buy the steel well this is food grade it's been sanitized okay and, fair enough but it does apparently let's say the average oven gets to 500 degrees the baking steel apparently will get close to 600 degrees really yeah if, especially if you put it under the broiler for oh, that's the cool boi- the broiler for the a little boiler? bit what kind of pizza did you make on your bacon steel bread mm, i just like a right i just i didn't even have sauce so i just did some you know um so you didn't have sauce what did you do then 
Mm. You just did. I just did some cheese and some rosemary and olive oil. What kind of cheese? Parmesan. Oh, so you made a real simple, clean kind of like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So somewhere between a bread and a pizza. Mm. Like a pizza Bianca. Yeah. Lots of peaches out right now. Ooh, we are in so, peach paradise. And I'm getting ready to make Bobby's Pocket Pop. Pocket Pop. Pocket Peach Pies. We're drunk. Yeah. What y'all gonna do? Bobby's Pocket Pies. So, yeah, I decided to make some hand pies because they're easier to share with friends. That's very, very true. You That's, can't exactly just give someone a slice of pie in their hand. No, and I don't have the proper tools, and especially with a drippy, drippy, wet, Juicy, juice, right? Peach slippery pie. pie. I bought a cantaloupe that was the shape <laughs> of a, a, and a man or woman's ass. Yeah, I noticed there's a hole cut in it, and it's been <laughs> in the microwave. <laughs> Actually, I put it in the fridge because I. Ooh, oh wait, that's it's weird. hot out. <laughs> it's hot out. I like the cool <laughs> sensation. So go ahead to our Instagram, and you can look at the picture of the of and the woman at the farmers market wanted to charge me twice the amount. They were $4, which is, by the way, a steal. The cantaloupe was the most fragrant. Mm. And don't you dare, any of those people out there, people always say, oh, it smells like a diaper. Don't. I'm one of those people. Yeah, well, guess what? Don't rain on my cantaloupe parade. Listen, I'm not going to. I agree. When you smell a cantaloupe at the market, you pick it up. It's amazing. It's delicious. It's like mind-numbingly beautiful and gorgeous. It's like flowers and bees and I don't know. But anyway, I bought a cantaloupe. I think the minute you take it away from the market, it, and you bring it something into your changes. I went shopping. It gets mad. <laughs> I went it gets sh- angry. It's like, don't you take me away from like my cantaloupe sunny. friends. I belong with my family and friends. I bought a cantaloupe the other day at the market, mm-hmm. and I'm walking around. I'm sh- like clothes shopping after. It was a tiny, tiny cantaloupe, so I just put it I right in my so bag. I feel so elitist when I'm holding a cantaloupe. If I have a watermelon, I'm like, um, excuse me. <laughs> Par- excuse me. Sorry, pardon me. This is an organic cantaloupe. <laughs> I've just me. been to the market, darling. Yeah, yeah. So I take this cantaloupe. I go clothes shopping with it. I, I'm like, God damn it. Someone in here had the audacity to fart in the store, and they're continuing to just follow me around and fart all around me. And then I just realized it was the cantaloupe was in my bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was the fart. Well. <laughs> I was the fart I smelled in the world. Yeah. So anyway, back to the peach pie. Oh, I don't yes, wanna, yes, I don't yes, want to yes, talk yes, about yes, these yes, farty yes, cantaloupes yes. anymore. Well, you told me something very interesting about making hand pies, which mm. I thought uh, it really just rocked my whole world. What? About uh, your method for macerating. Oh, and yeah. I always macerate in the morning. Yeah. I usually macerate before I go to bed. Well, I like to macerate before I take a shower because... Oh, it relaxes you? It I macerated relaxes. actually right before I came over to your house. Well... And so, I didn't wash my hands after I... <laughs> well, you should. I'm sure they're very sticky. <laughs> so I macerate the peaches in a little bit of sugar. Mm-hmm. Classic maceration technique. little sugar, tiny touch of salt, some lemon. I let it sit over... A strainer, of course, mm-hmm. into a bowl, and I take that juice, and then you reduce the juice. Oh, ready, everybody? Say it again. Reduce, reduce the, the juice. juice. Now you're going to get a nice light caramel to that juice. You don't, you know, you it's probably will go from a half a cup to a quarter cup or something. That's like that. smart, Depending, though. If you, let's say if you have eight peaches mm-hmm. for one pie, 
And it really concentrates the flavor. And that's from, of course, the Rose Levy Berenbaum Pie and Pastry Bible. Best. It's very smart. Whenever I've made hand pies in the past, no matter how much I try to seal the edges, it, it always... They always leak out. Little bits of fruit juices just sneak yeah, out. I mean, I kind of like the way that looks. You could put some egg white on it. I like it too, but then there's nothing left in the in the hand pie. It's just a shell. Yeah. I made beautiful, gorgeous hand pies last year. Uh, strawberry rhubarb on a trip I was taking with an ex-lover up uh, to the Berkshires. Yes. Up to the Berkshires. Oh, going to the Berkshires with yeah. a bunch of hot-shaped pocket pies. Ah, he never fun. ate one, first of all. I made all these beautiful hand pies. First of all, I never ate one. I ate one. I bit into it. There was like one dried-up strawberry. It was basically just a shell, a heart-shaped oh, shell. that's too bad. Yeah. It well, was, I never, I clearly haven't gotten over it. <laughs> well, let's go with the egg white seal technique la- next time. Okay, that's smart. I didn't do that last time, but I will okay, for anyway. my next lover. So let's talk about your I cooking a, adventure. This I week. had a great cooking adventure. I had a party mm-hmm. at a housewarming party, and I decided I have a couple of party tricks. I think we've already told you that I love to use an ice luge at a party. Mm-hmm. Hadn't realized because I hadn't bought one for my house. I only bought one when I was at Brucey, and I used to just be like, oh. What send one of my girls? What girls get it? Fetch me an ice luge. So I never. Sarah, Sarah, come back with an ice luge. I never realized that they were very, (laughs) very expensive. And so I go to order one. The guy's like, "All right, it's gonna be three hundred fifty dollars plus delivery." And I'm like, "I'm not getting a fucking ice luge for this party." So I went to one of my other party tricks, which was a six foot sandwich, submarine sandwich, and we made it. My mom and I made it on the fly Mm -hmm. at the party, which. Again, normally I'm always the kind of person who wants everything done ahead of time, but I didn't want a soggy sandwich for my guests, so I decided we would make it last very, minute, which was a very good idea. And it was fun; it became like part of the party. Yeah, it was it like was the it was like the 37th cooking, guest. Live cooking. We started with a live martini making demo. We did. The video uh, will be up on our Patreon page this week. That's correct. And which you uh, should donate to, so we can get rich. What are you guys waiting for? I know. I just drank the last of the gin that <laughs> we didn't even pay for. I know. It was that's good. how destitute we are. <laughs> Um, B, what did you think of the sandwich? Because your opinion means everything to me. You're the harshest critic. It was very delicious. Uh, I liked the meat side better. You did. Interesting. Only because, well, the other side was mostly pickled vegetables, but I think it was just out of nostalgia. I just wanted the classic. You wanted the meat. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't even an overly meaty. It wasn't like tons of meat. You know, it was, what did what kind of meat you had? I had soprasada, finocchiana, mortadella, um, hot and sweet sopressata, and then some. But it was layered very thin. It was it layered was very, very thin. Nicely. Fresh mozzarella, and that from Caputo's, which is on Court Street. Um, mm-hmm. I think you've heard us mention it in it's, Carroll Gardens. In Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. they make very nice fresh mozzarella. The the guy who owns it is from Puglia, and he talks all about his technique. He's a very nice guy, and uh, I I really like that place. I go there all the time. And then I did. Remember some, that when that manager fell in love with me? Yeah, you talk about it, but yet. I've never seen this alleged manager he who loves you. I walked into Caputo's one time, and if you're listening, then you'll know that it was me. But And he said that he felt that we met in another life before. Wow, that's a scary thing and to I say was to kind a stranger. Of, well, it's funny because I sort of walked in this old school Italian-American place and, you know, the old Carroll Gardens, you know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this, oh, God, hello, sir. May I have some, <laughs> excuse <laughs> me, can I have some ricotta? And he's like, <laughs> The guy turns out the manager is, fell in love with me. And wow! He said he fell How in could love he not? Me. And he found me right away on social media and said that he asked my name. Yeah. Which he looked at from my credit card. 
It's okay. I was. He's very nice. I thought I could go back and get a discount, but I haven't yet. So you didn't get a discount. You did get a stalker. Mm, well, a stalker. We said hi, and I thought we could talk about uh, ricotta or mm-hmm. or ricotta mascar- salada. Yeah, ricotta salada or a mascarpone the next or time I see him. Gabagool. Yeah. Maybe some hot soprasada. Oh, well, soprasada. So then I put eggplant because eggplant's in season right now. So I got some really nice eggplants from the farmer's market and I had some chipotle and adobo left. Some chipotle and adobo just left hanging around in my fridge Lovely. from a uh, party. I Another party I had. So I did like a spicy uh, eggplant and uh, yeah, that was basically it. Well, I did some pickled uh, pickled peppers. It was very good. And shredded lettuce, of course. Lots of shredded lettuce. The bread was very good, covered in sesame seeds. Covered in sesame seeds. Mayonnaise. It was bien cuit. The bread was very well cooked. Oh, mm-hmm. it was. A little oh, bit. I got one tiny end at the end, though. I bought a six-foot sub from Mazzola's Bakery mm-hmm. in Carroll Gardens. Gorgeous bread, but uh, one, maybe like four inches of this bread was like undercooked on the very little tidbit on the end. I felt like the whole loaf was a little overcooked compared to the regular bread. Overcooked. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Did yeah, you yeah. think that, or was I just being? Paranoid? I was kind of drunk at the at that time. I didn't really. I don't remember. It just. Looked I'll take different. your word for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a big bread. You know, who knows? Maybe it's hard I to cook that I've... big bread. <laughs> it's a big bread. Yeah. I don't know. You were just asking me to be my critical self. No, I. I, I was like, well, you're like, well, if I could change something, <laughs> I would go back in time. Um, and then you made a delicious and festive seven, seven dip. dip. Which was actually 7.6 layers. Tell us the layers. I used classic. I did some yogurt with some, another, (laughs) add some chipotle, Mm -hmm. some yogurt, and mix it with some sour cream and some cumin. I had some refried beans. That's number two. I had some corn. That's number three. I had some cilantro and shiso. I did that together. That's number four. A little twist for Breton. A little twist. Breton does everything with a little twist. A little twist. Let's see what do we get? Some black olives. I said that. We had some. Some shred- I did some lettuce, shredded yeah. lettuce, and I Perfect. did a bunch of cilantro. Corn. Corn, I think I said that. Corn was but there. You know, but you know what I missed? Which I meant to do this. I forgot to put the tomato salsa mm-hmm. on it, the, the t- pico de gallo. I don't know. if I just forgot. Yeah, that's okay. And did the, you make it or you just like didn't make it? I just didn't make it. Oh. I lost. I got distracted. <laughs> Excuse me. Super Last time I asked you to it make was, a seven layer dip. It was three. It was five. It was eight layers. It was ten. I don't know. I was being <laughs> dramatic. and. <laughs> And I called my sister, who lives in Amsterdam, and she said, oh, that's so funny. I'd already made one today. And I said, how'd you make it? She's like, it only took me 20 minutes. Mine took me four hours to make. Because well, did she like make all the, did she do store-bought? No, she did store-bought. Yeah, of course. She has kids. Carly. Well, it That's just okay. Goes, well, yeah, I guess so. Is this a Scott family feud? I just think that if I had kids, I would do it better. <gasps> oh, my God. You First, heard it here. I would never have kids. Well, I have I have a surprise for you. For your doctor just called. You're pregnant. Yeah. Oh, really? That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. I wouldn't never not have kids. I just don't think it's going to be an accident. Well, <laughs> well, okay. that's good because so the if sandwich you had, was great. The sandwich was great. It was delicious. Everything was fun. The party was great. Lots of nice attendees. I liked everyone who was there. Um, I got you know pretty uh pretty juiced up mm-hmm. on party juice. Palomas were flowing in a punch bowl. Yeah, punch bowl full mm. palomas, Aperol spritzes, um, delicious wine. It was great. It was a really fun party. And I hope that you're all having fun summer parties out there too. Everybody should party down. So, so- kind. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. To uh, finish I, telling us. I, no, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I thought you were making a phone call. No. I was- oh, you're just timing? You're putting your timer on? Okay, so go ahead. 
I have kind of a non sequitur here, but um, I'm very upset about the world that seems to be burning as we speak. I, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't like the president. Of what? He's a very, he seems like a very nice guy. I don't like the president. I don't he like seems- the vice president. I don't like any of these motherfuckers. And so I'm dealing with it as anyone would in my position by guzzling, guzzling, guzzling <laughs> pitchers full <laughs> yeah. of martinis. Some people are going back to Los. Oh my gosh, the cats are fighting. They're just punching each other. Guys, what are you doing? We're trying to have a podcast here. I'm trying to talk about the Sparkles about and politics women. and segue into my topic of the day. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what it is? I'm itchy. Well, God. I'm sitting on a wool blanket. It's very itchy. Yeah, it's wool blanket in the summer. Yeah, it's it's, itchy. It keeps you cool in the summer. That's what grandpa always says. <laughs> what else did your grandpa say? Oh, this is a very good question. My grandpa. <laughs> Tell us what grandpa Scott. Okay. So this will lead us right into the topic. Okay. When my grandmother was my dad's mother and father, uh, we called them Nanny and Poppy. Her name was Florence, and his name was Robert, Bob. Uh, and when she was very young and, and recently married, right before World War II, the doctor had told her she should never have children. She has a heart disease, and she has to get all her teeth pulled, and she was going to die. And if she Why had, the teeth? I don't know. because That's like what not, they did back then. They yanked out your teeth for everything. In 1936, they're like, you're screwed. Yeah. We are taking out your teeth. They're Here's, like, you plantar fasciitis. Give me those teeth. Give me those teeth. They probably <laughs> sold them on the internet, the future internet. So the doctor said after this happened, and I don't know, I think she had kids, and he said the only way you're going to be able to relax is by drinking one martini every night. That was his prescription to my grandmother. That is amazing. Well, this was probably, I don't know exactly, I don't want to bring the dates, I'm sure if my parents are listening, but I think that was sometime in the early 1940s, maybe during World War II. My grandpa was sent off to Europe fighting, fighting in a tank in France while... You know, Florence was at home with her two little baby children, raising them in rural Wisconsin, uh, oh. picking hickory nuts and making milk. And uh, oh, hickory nut milk! Yeah, yeah, fishing for bluefish in the local rivers. Wow. So, to make a long story short, meanwhile, every night she kicks back and shakes up a martini, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Hey, you know what? Life is going to be okay." So, I, love it. I guess in the fifties, it turned into two martinis every night. The sixties, it turns into each three. decade yeah, another each decade, martini. Like you add a martini. Yeah. By the seventies and eighties, we were getting a little out of control. And Nanny yeah. and Poppy, God rest their souls, were kicking back a few martinis every night. The first thing they did was show me how to make a martini. That's amazing. Before they showed me how to shower. Or how old are you? Uh, three months old. Oh no. wow! Yeah, <laughs> barely remember. Well, three three month olds really like to shake things. Okay, it's like a rattle. So they drink a lot of martinis. Life goes on. They, you know, my grandpa lives till forever, and Nanny had a stroke when she was like eighty. You know, she was old. Uh, anyway, so we're at the funeral of my grandfather a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Poppy and this old couple. You know how the you're supposed to stand at the funeral, of the family, like by all the pictures. And yeah, people come in. They're like, ah, oh, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Respect me, the deceased. Well, these old, this old couple, I'm standing with my brother, and they come up and they said, oh, oh, look at that old picture of Florence. And they said, oh, do you remember when the doctors in 1950s, they were old friends of theirs from forever. Yeah, yeah. There was people who were like in their 90s. And they said, do you remember when that nice doctor told them to drink martinis every night? They said, thank God that kept her alive for so long. Wow. And they believed it. And my brother and I were like, that's a real story. That's incredible. They actually, 
believed it and it might have worked. Yeah. Well, you know, is it like it's like the power of positive thinking also maybe or maybe gin will keep you alive a long time. There are a lot of botanicals in it. And it's very funny that you mention gin martinis because oh, really? that's our topic today, guys. Gin martinis. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know about you, but dun, I just dun. slammed one. I'm ready for another. Yeah, me too. Um, So to quote the famous poet, Dorothy Parker. Mm-hmm. I like one martini, two at the most, three I'm under the table, four I'm under my host. And that was my dear friend, Robbie Nelson, talking about the famous Dorothy Parker quote. Uh, Robbie is the East Coast brand ambassador mm-hmm. to Plymouth Gin, the premier name in gin, and so much more. He, I think, has recently gotten even a different job title, but that sounds pretty good. So we'll leave it at that. So, Breton, why the martini? Why do you love it? I love a martini a couple of reasons. Number one... It is a quick fix. Yeah. It is a, oh man, it's, I, I use it in both fashions. When I'm uh, upset, I use mm-hmm. it when I'm happy, I use it when I'm, I'm sound like I have a problem. Right. I use it right before I go to the gym. When I, I wake up in the morning. I, I use it in the afternoon before I take a shower. I <laughs> use it right before I macerate peaches. <laughs> and I use it after I've macerated, during <laughs> No, I <laughs> during maceration explanation. And I've, no, and I, you know what? For me too, it's for me. I don't know for for me. You're uh-huh. asking me. Yeah, I'm uh, asking you. You are asking me. I've said that three times now. It feels American, and it feels. I don't know. My grandparents had one. Yeah, I don't question authority. <laughs> I just ta- I just, I just go tell along. Whatever the president says, I just do it. Yes, that's exactly. The way that goes. Well, he would say that we should never drink anything ever again because he's a bore. He's a schnorr. A sh. Yeah. Anyway, he is a schnorr. Yeah, he's a lot of things. Um, All right, we're gonna stop convention. So, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so we asked our good friend Marty, who is Marty. Marty. Marty is something of New York, of Brooklyn he's industry a- people. Uh, he's a legend. He's a living legend in the making. He is. And we're making him. Marty, uh, Bart- he's a barkeep tone at um, two famous bars here in, uh, what, I switched that. Cobble Hill. Cobble, uh, Henry Public. Henry, Henry Public. Public. Henry Public and um, Brooklyn Social. Brooklyn Social Club. Both in Brooklyn, one in Car- Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill. We love Marty. He's really great. Breton and him have worked together for a long time. Marty and many, I many met years. when we were young kids. Not really that young. In our 20s. But anyway, he has some opinions on uh, why the martini is such a great drink, too. Because it's all booze and it's cold. And it's a, it's a moment. So, a little, little bit about gin, Breton. Got okay, some things to I tell you about like gin. gin. I like learning about it. Yeah, it's really interesting. So... Juniper is the kind of main botanical that you taste when you drink gin. There's also that's other that, things, lots of citrus. That's that like piney, yes, pine needle kind of a thing. Exactly, it's the classic flavor behind gin. Oh, I have a really. Can I tell you a funny Please. Gin story? Uh huh. To interrupt pine needles, right? Mm-hmm. There was a senior basketball game or a a, a competitive basketball game in high school in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, and we were outside. It was the middle of winter. It was a lot of a lot of competition, you know, within the city. It's like the two main high schools. And my friends pulled up in the car and they said, we're going to distract your parents. 
while you go into your liquor cabinet and steal an entire bottle of booze so we can sneak it into the basketball game and get wasted at age 16 while we're driving our cars. So uh, lo and behold, my par- they come in, they're like, <laughs> like Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Scott, like, oh, oh, how's math going? Oh, how's blah, blah, blah. And we're talking, we're like, oh, we have to get to this game soon. Meanwhile, I climb around the corner in our kitchen. There's a, a pantry and I take off my shoes and I climb to the top shelf where our liquor cabinet was sick. While and your I, parents are being while distracted. While my parents are four feet around the corner from me and I'm trying to be so sent. We have this old house with wooden cabinets and I go and I open it very carefully. It's little like knobs. I turn it and I turn it and I open it. And I just grabbed whatever bottle it was and I grabbed it and I shoved it into my wide 1990s pants. Oh my thank God. God. You wearing Jenkos? No, I was wearing Eddie Bauer. And I had a wool coat on and I shoved it in and I put it in. And I was like, hey guys, oh my God, look at the time. We have to run. We ran to the car and they said, whatever you do, don't grab gin. Guess what bottle I snatched because I was in a hurry. I grabbed the Fleischmann's gin. Ooh, yeah. And we got a bottle of squirt. Squirt, yeah. you remember squirt. And yes, we I drank do. the bottle of gin, warm gin in a cold car and with like room temperature squirt. Wow. Well, and, that, and all we could think about were like pine needles. Yeah. And that. Well, that's juniper. That's very interesting that you say that because Robbie and I actually just talked about our memories of first drinking uh, gin as 16 year olds. Because I remember the first time I ever drank gin, which was uh, before I was 21. Uh oh. Um, no. But mom. I was just, ta- I was literally tasting it uh, at my family's cabin with my best friend and. We found the liquor cabinet that had, you know, probably Jack Daniels and, you know, a few other things. And we tasted each of them. I think I spit most of everything out. <laughs> I was probably 16. And when I got to gin, when I tried the gin, I thought, this is horrific. Really? This is, what kind was it? Do you remember? I, I, I don't remember. Uh, and it was probably not a very good one. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it was just... Both, both me and my friend just spit it out really? into the sink. We said, this is vile. <laughs> and so it's, I think it's a little poetic that I would come yeah. back and, you know, 15 years on or so be so enamored of, of yeah. gin. Yeah, now it's your fave. My first gin drinking experience was that I was also 16. <laughs> and uh, my friends and I decided, you know, we were like, oh, we'll get drunk. We like had some gin somehow. It was beef eater. And we were taking shots of it. It was good, but we were taking shots of it and chasing it with Bud Ice. Nope. And we went to my friend's Sweet 16, (laughs) and I vomited (laughs) all over her whole family on the dance floor. And people were just like dancing in my puke. And I still never had the thing where I was like, I'm never drinking gin again. I was like, no, I like it. It's good. I'll still have it. That's that's what we call a a gin-cident. So yeah, that junipery uh, taste that you get is jun or the pine needle taste you get is juniper, and uh, we actually Robbie was nice enough to tell us a little bit about juniper and the interesting origins of how it spread throughout the world. Ah, like a virus. Well, juniper, and this is where I get real nerdy. Please lay it on us. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> juniper is a very ancient plant. Uh, it's about two hundred and fifty million years old. Wow. It's part of the cypress family. That's v old. It's V V <laughs> V old, and it's native to North America, Europe, and Asia. Which, 
if you're wondering how the heck is that possible well how uh that's because of pangea oh so it's so old pangea wow throwing back to you know uh elementary school that's crazy (laughs) i haven't heard yeah i haven't heard about pangea in ages right so for those of you who don't want to uh go to wikipedia right now pangea uh, was when all the continents were still smushed together as oh, one yeah. big continent, uh, which is why Juniper was able to be native to all three of these places. So as the continents spread apart, Juniper went with them. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so interesting. You're very smart. I, I spent a lot of time reading about Jun. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and talking about Jun. So, uh, and many, many people smarter than I have, have uh, taught me, taught me quite a lot. So anyway, so Juniper is very old. The, the juniper that we are talking about for gin mm-hmm. is something called Juniperus Commonus Commonus. They got bored coming up with the name <laughs> and just slapped on an extra Commonus. Anyway, <laughs> the majority of the gin or the juniper that we use for gin comes from like parts of Italy, parts of Serbia, Macedonia, kind of the Caucasus region of Europe. Granted, the Caucasus region? Yes. <laughs> Emphasis on the. Uh, if you continue listening to our <laughs> podcast, you'll see that's very. We're very, very mature, so we can't I'm, handle hearing anything like caucus and and not <laughs> not have a chuckle. I'm fine with that. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm just thinking about uh, about anyway. caucus. Yeah. <laughs> so, it it comes from this region. Obviously, there's juniper all over the place, but this this region generally produces uh, the best to make gin. Um, and each, each area is going to differ a little bit each year. Sometimes it's going to be a little pinier, mm-hmm. sometimes a little more citrusy, but cool. that comes down to the, the master distiller in question wow. to get the right juniper. Juniper combined with alcohol dates back as far as 70 AD, which means oh. after death. So just poor Jesus, he missed out. Yeah, he didn't have any martinis. So that's kind of like how far back we're talking. Maybe maybe a gin got started then. But we're going to jump up to 16th century uh, in uh, Holland. The Dutch began producing a liquor called Genever, which is Yen- kind of the pre... Genever. Genever? Genever. Is that really how you pronounce yes, it? Yes, Genever. Oh, wow. My sister is Dutch. Oh, okay. So they Became say Genever. Yeah. Like your neighbor, and they have young your neighbor, like old young your neighbor, and you can oh, go to really? your neighbor bars. Oh, yeah, they're wow. fun, huh? They get quite pricey. A your neighbor bar. Well, anyway, um, as gin started to spread to uh, Great Britain from uh, Holland, they started to call it Gen G E N because the drunk British people couldn't pronounce. Uh, oh yeah, Geneva. Geneva, that would been too. So they just saw, called it Gen, and then eventually it just became called Gin. So in the, the 1600s in England, they had a bad gin craze. It became really, really dicey there. Uh, the price of gin was cheaper than the price of beer, so people were just like guzzling this it and guzzling like it and guzzling it. The whiskey problem they had in America right before the prohibition. Right, it was very similar. I mean, this was bad, and but the thing was that people started well. Let me let me not get ahead of myself. So yes, 1689, William III was the uh, became the king uh, uh, yes. through a series of kind of wacky, crazy events, which I will leave to you guys to Wikipedia yourselves. Little Billy, the number three. Yeah. So he starts to basically deregulate everything. He's like, uh, I want more gin. He's from Holland. And so he's bringing gin with him over here and he's making it easier for everyone to be able to just kind of make it so. Essentially, he's just like deregulating everything. The biggest issue was that 
they were at, they didn't want to depend on France anymore because they were at war with France and they didn't want to depend on them and their wine based spirits like cognac and brandy oh. and stuff like that and wine. So gin could be made Screw out of grain. You. Yeah. And so that's why they were jazzed about gin. They're like, hey, uh, take this wheat and corn and barley and exactly rice. And then also there was like this, this situation where they were having, it was kind of like a, a pyramid scheme almost. So the people who were in parliament were the landowners and the landowners were taxing the farmers more and raising the rents on the, Jerks. on the farms. And then, you know, so they were deregulating. The, so it's like a, it's like a New York, the City government apartment. was yeah. getting more, was getting rich off the fact that gin was de- being deregulated. But with the deregulation of gin, they were making some really, really crummy, horrible gin. Disgusting. Exactly. It was, you know, uh, gin joints were known as like really low class, low level bars. Like I said, it was like cheaper than beer. So people, uh, it had bad beginnings in that way. You know, it had a nice kind of start over in Amsterdam and then it came over to England and it was not so hot. So the old slogan used to be, uh, drunk for a penny, dead drunk for two pence and clean straw for nothing. Because at these, at these gin, uh, houses, uh, and these, you know, gin dispensaries, People would come in, and gin was just dirt, dirt cheap. Really? So after William III, Queen Anne, William's successor, was nicknamed Brandy Nan because she loved drinking brandy. And although brandy was obviously coming from uh, France, she was just basically a a drunk. Um, She would do something that I think you would really like, which was drink uh, brandy out of a tea kettle. And oh yes. Yeah, she would pretend it was tea, but it was really brandy. Oh, that's what I that's my old trick. Yeah. That's the, the Didn't old, you do that at the Four Seasons or uh, every even the, every you restaurant do that, that at I worked at? I started doing it at, at the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, right. We right, would right. pour champagne into tea kettles and Yeah. And I just did it ever since. <laughs> well, she continued to make it even easier for people to distill, just kind of continuing this awfulness that was going on. So now we're in like the 1700s. Gin is first mentioned in print in 1714 in the poem called The Fable of Bees. So now it's on the books that it's official. We have gin. People, gin has landed. It took them that long to get gin written. To be called gin. Yeah, that was the first mention yeah, I guess of it. you're right. Yeah. So what, about they, what do you think they called it before that? Well, they called it Jen and Jennifer. Jen, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Exactly. Got it, got it, got it, got it. All of us are already aware of what gin was before bread and ketchup. Really? <laughs> what? Who am I? So all of this is just making me think, like, gin seems to make people really angry. Does gin make you angry? No, I drink it all the time. Does drink, gin make other people angry? People want to believe it sometimes. You know what? I think sometimes, too... I think that sometimes I get angry off of gin. You do? But then I realize... What have you done? Have you ever destroyed something in a gin-fueled rage? Uh, no. Oh. No. <laughs> How angry do you get? Just kind of angry where you're like, Ugh, I don't want to. I don't like it. I don't like... I'm angry. Yeah, I don't know. I have an opinion. It give, Oh, a gin-pinion. A, a, a gin-pinion. A gin-pinion, yeah. A real strong gin-pinion. Yeah. Like, oh, no, that's just how I see it, and that's it. Maybe you're just allergic to olives. I know. It turns out, <laughs> turns out I should have been drinking. <laughs> you have an olive mm, allergy. Well, one distillation techniques at that time were just not nearly where they are today. So okay. the the quality of, 
of spirit, the quality of alcohol that you were getting was very poor. So there may have been high levels of things like methanol, which can do very bad things to you. Yikes. If you, if you drink them, don't do that. Don't but, drink methanol, kids. So 1736, the government in Great Britain is realizing they have an issue and they need to start kind of regulating a little bit what's going on because people are going absolutely insane. Mothers. Bonkers. Bonkers. Bananas. Gin Alley is being depicted in artwork, uh, in sketchings and etchings and creepy things as being, you know, uh, something that just makes people go absolutely insane while like Beer Street is perfectly fine. So basically anyone who was like ca- uh, Catholic or religious at all was like very scared of what gin was doing to people. Beer was known as the thing that was like a safe bet and everyone was freaking the fuck out. Um, so they're like, we have to start regulating. They were putting things like turpentine and sawdust in it. So this is, yeah, people were getting kooky. And I think that's where some of like, you know, what the bad rap thought. about gin comes from. I suppose back then there weren't so many science books and there wasn't so many nutrition things. So perhaps sawdust seemed, hey, there's a tree. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I just listened to an episode of The Dollop the other day where they thought that a woman's uterus would just float throughout her entire body. And if you like did any work or you held anything, your uterus would like fall out. So I don't think people during this time knew much about the body. That's what I'm trying to say. So sawdust was cool. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, (laughs) sawdust, load it up. And then people just started getting like insane. So distiller's license was introduced. Uh, The cost of it was like what would be 50 euros today. And then people are also being paid to be like snitches. So if you snitched on someone operating without a license, you would get five euros. So this kind of like, and people were poor during this time. So there was a lot of. Five euros back in that. They were cracking down. I mean, you're, you're talking people Got who have things. like no money and you're like, oh, we'll give you five bucks if you tell us who's been making that bathtub gin. And that's how that's how things started to kind of get into place. That's where a bathtub gin came from. Yeah. So 1751, the Gin Act is passed in, in mm. Great Britain to try to stop the insanity like Susan Powers. <laughs> stop the insanity. There was some <laughs> blonde, spiky haired lesbian. Stop the insanity. What is she, what was she even talking about? What was the insanity that Susan pa- Susan Powers or Powders Susan Powder Susan Powder? I think Susan Powder just are you thinking thinks, of the movie Powder? Yeah, she and Powder together stopped all the insanity, and that's why everything is not insane. <laughs> I don't anymore. know. I think she was referring to the insanity that Jin caused. I think it just she was, has been left over. I thought it was a fitness thing, and she's like, <clears throat> the insanity is everybody getting fat in the '90s when fat was the enemy. No fat anything. Snackwells, snackwells. So jumping up a bit, um, 1830, beer finally becomes cheaper than gin. Finally. Okay, maybe. And, and to this day still. And uh, I'm sorry, but this really, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It really sounds like anus. What is it? A-E-N-A-S. Well, anus. Sounds like an anus to me. Anus Coffee introduces a new still that takes the sawdust out of gin and gin cleans up its act and is ready for prime time ready for a sapphire and tonics girl here we go tnt's yum dipping back a little bit plymouth gin uh had been operating since 1793 was the favorite of sailors and remained that way throughout time up until present day so sailors are drinking plymouth gin they love it they're out on the high seas but just drinking gin they're going to a lot of places that have malaria do you know what helps prevent malaria? Gin. Quinine. Quinine. Which is the main ingredient in, or it used to be at least in tonic. 
And then you know what prevents scurvy? Limes. Limes. Hence the gin and tonic is born. So that's a little little bit about our old friend gin. And the quinine came mostly from, they were using the chinchona bark, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, which was mostly from Central and South America, if I remember correctly. I think so, yes. I could be wrong, but that's something. Yeah. Right. That's probably where they got it when they were like sailing around and they're like, oh, here this, here's this place that has malaria. And that was probably that, you know, how everything kind of grows where it's supposed which to. Which I read that tonic and chinchona is also good for muscle cramps. Oh, really? So have a cocktail. That makes sense. The gin and tonic. I don't think there's quinine in like commercial tonic today, though. There is. Well, I don't know if there is for sure. Like but some specialty tonic syrups, but not if you get like um, like Schweppes. I don't think that's I think it, it is actually because I read this big really? article. I read a big article saying how Chinchona was getting harder to find. Making a some, comeback? Yeah, but there was some season that had bad. It was bad Chinchona you season. bad Chinchona. You get out of here. on if you look at the back of Schweppes or what's another one? Seagram's or something. Mm-hmm. It says contains quinine. Okay. Maybe they add it though. Maybe. Become, who knows? Maybe you're supposed to add it at home. Exactly. So listen, gin from the like 1800s till like prohibition time actually has a nice little time. It's it's not really looked upon as the kind of evil monster that it was back in the 16, 1700s. It's coming back around. The sailors love it. Everything's coming up gin. It's getting cute again. Until prohibition. Because during prohibition, mm-hmm. gin was being made in America and bathtub gin. That's where this the term is, bathtub oh, comes this from. This is where bathtub gin comes from. And nobody likes no bathtub gin. I mean, it wasn't... I so mean, I, they, I'm assuming they were actually making it in their bathtubs. They were actually making it in bathtubs, and it was just, like, not good. Like, I think it was... Do you think it was one of the things where one person used a bathtub and then everybody called it that? Well, I think probably the bathtub was the best place to make a big batch of anything. Yeah, they couldn't just go to the 99 cents. And nobody and even big. bathed back then. So, like, we don't even use this thing. We use this thing like once a month. Let's yeah, just make like, gin I in it. I don't understand why I smell. Well, don't take a bath. It's, you have to. Don't take gin. a bath. It's full of gin. <laughs> it's full of gin. <laughs> so, listen, 1934. Mm, good year. Okay. So Prohibition ends in 33, I believe. My grandmother was right? just being told to drink her yeah. martinis. 1934. Breton, she was, tw- she was 12. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, they yanked out all her teeth and gave her a bottle of gin. Here mm-hmm. you go. Be on your merry way. Uh, 1934, the heir to Smirnov sells his family recipe and business to an American man named Rudolph Cunnant. And then in 1939, Cunnant sells it to the owner of A1, which is his big popular thing, uh, John Hubland. And it almost doesn't take off, right? People are like, no, vodka is not a thing. We don't like it. We're all about gin. Um, but people are kind of like against gin a little bit because it was gross during prohibition. So everyone's kind of like wondering what the next thing to do is. Uh, dark spirits are very popular, obviously, during the this brown, time. Yep. Brown liquors. They do a last ditch effort with Smirnoff to make it um, a thing. And they run this campaign that says Smirnoff will leave you breathless. That was uh, Smirnoff's mm-hmm. It'll Leave You Breathless campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, which like doesn't sound good to me. Like I don't want to be breathless. Like after I drink, that makes me feel like something's gone wrong. Right. But it it was in reference to, Hey, you can go out for martinis at lunch and drink breathless. Like you won't have it on your breath. Exactly. I'm thinking it'll like leave you like breathless. Like you'll die. Right. So I'd rather have (laughs) gin and be full of breath, but I see what it, Oh, it'll leave you breathless. Like it was a nice little double entendre. Um, so yeah, I obviously thought that leave you breathless meant that 
I thought of it as a negative thing that it'll leave you breathless, like it'll leave you dead. Oh, I thought it meant it'll get you fucked up. Well, no, it really meant like as Robbie was just saying oh, about how it, it doesn't leave a smell in your breath. So people go breath, the obvious at lunchtime. They everyone now we're like almost in the fifties now. People are like, oh, vodka is great because unlike gin, it doesn't leave a stink in your breath. So you can go back to work and not smell like gin. Like juniper, pine. Exactly. And lemon peel and lemongrass. And exactly. God, wow. Exactly. So when vodka really, really kind of took off and like surpassed gin was obviously with uh, our most famous vodka drinking, martini drinking pop culture icon of all time, which was James Bond. Mm. So in the book, mm. Casino Royale, no, 19... Was that Sean Connery? Was it, it was, else? but we're talking about even earlier in the book, 1953. Oh, Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming um, introduces James Bond as ordering a martini as such. The drink of James Bond, though he was drinking <coughs> uh, vodka. I know. I was just reading all about that. No one's perfect. Uh, Plymouth gin was used in the first true dry martini. Um, and it was called the Marguerite. It was two parts Plymouth, one part dry French vermouth and one dash of orange bitters. Which oh, that sounds delicious. It's great. And that's actually what um, Robbie made for us earlier today. Kind of one of the first references we get to a classic dry martini uh, is in this book. Um, what is it? Stewart's Fancy Drinks and How to Fix Them. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and it was... Originally published in the uh, eighteen late eighteen eighties, early eighteen nineties, but then re released in nineteen oh four with a new up to date cocktail section, which included this drink called the Marguerite, which not a margarita, but the Marguerite, which was two parts Plymouth gin, one part French vermouth, and a dash of orange bitters. So there's a lot of opinion on where the martini started. One of the biggest, I mean, so obviously this is what Robbie told me, and I, I choose to believe him um, about uh, where it started, as he just explained to us. But there's also some thoughts about it that it uh, originated in Martinez, California, during the gold rush. So in like the late 1800s, uh, they say that an unnamed gold digger or whatever, gold farmer, I don't know what the hell you call people, who gold digger? A gold digger, yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. So uh, had really struck it rich, and he went in to go celebrate in a local bar in Martinez, California, and he asked for champagne to celebrate, but they didn't have any. So a Martinez is gin, maraschino, sweet vermouth, and uh, orange bitters. Obviously, to me, I've always thought it was weird when people said that the martini derived from the Martinez because it's just such a different drink, which is why I think Robbie was talking about how you know, the version that he's met that he mentioned from the, that cocktail book are, is like the first dry martini recipe. To me, it just seems like a totally different drink, but what do I know? It seems, it just seems to somebody, so maybe different. Somebody like the name and said, Oh, I'll just yeah take that name. And I mean, I don't know. I just think it seems, it seems pretty different. Some other options um, are that it was, Developed by Martini di Amra de Taglia at the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York City, pre-World War One, And then kind of the loosest uh, interpretation is that it's from just from Martini and Rossi, the vermouth. And then someone made a cocktail with it. And so they were like, ah, what kind of Martini? It's from Martini and Rossi. That's, pro- that's what they say. Yeah. So I kind of like Robbie's explanation. So let's go with that. 
Or you can just leave it up to your own goddamn imagination. Who knows? Who cares? It's a martini. It emerged in the circles uh, in New York, uh, kind of amongst the the upper echelon, uh, the the different clubs, uh, the Manhattan Club and the Turf Club, and these <laughs> these kind of places of society Ooh, where high uh, society. usually probably men would gather and mm-hmm. you know sit around and and drink drink their drinks, and one of those being the martini. So, Breton, obviously, we had. James Bond as the most famous martini drinker. There are a couple other people throughout history who popularized the martini. Ernest Hemingway Mm -hmm. loved, loved, loved a martini as he did many other things, including his signature drink, the Hemingway daiquiri, which is a regular lime daiquiri with maraschino. Which he probably stole from the martinis. Probably, yeah. He said, well, let's mix. Excuse me, waiter. Can I have that? Uh, Chef recommends you don't add the maraschino to a different... Well, I want to. I'm Ernest Hemingway, and I'll do what I want. It was cold. The night was dark. I decided I wanted to drink. We drank well. We slept well. We ate well. We drank well. That's, Is that a quote? No, that's just like how I picture Ernest Hemingway. Have you heard him speak? Uh, only in that movie, Midnight in Paris, which was... Did you see that Woody Allen movie? No. Nobody liked it. I thought it was great. There was a great, a great actor. I can't remember his name, played Hemingway. But, I mean, that's how I picture him speaking from reading a lot of his books in Paris where they go back in time. Yes. I do. I did see that. I loved it. I thought thought it was was very whimsical and sweet. Everybody wanted to, everybody had nostalgia for a time that they, everybody kept going back. Yeah. Thinking, oh, the 1940s are better. Oh, in the 1940s, they thought the 1900s are better. In the 1900s, they thought the 1860s were better. Exactly. When F. Scott Fitzgerald was writing letters to Hemingway about, he found a way to make vermouth colder by freezing it in a tennis canister tennis ball can and shaving it with a razor that <gasps> sounds amazing fun. yeah see marty thinks the same thing just goes to show i know so uh when i used to go visit my grammy like my grammy down in florida mm-hmm. we used to go to a place that was called cap's place and it was north of boca raton and you'd have to go and then you'd take a little tiny boat to the restaurant and the restaurant was even across like a little walking bridge from the bar and the bar was famous for having uh winston churchill and roosevelt met there to discuss all kinds of things you know between boca yeah north of boca uh at this bar caps place and they would both they were both said to have been drinking martinis Hmm. because winston churchill's very favorite drink was a dry dry martini he was quoted as saying there's only one way to make a martini and that is with ice cold gin and a bow in the direction of france Mm. and i think that was a nudge to the fact that like just to bow to france yes because he didn't but not to put the french vermouth in his martini yes bow to them and Mm. and that's enough i had a woman come into come into long island bar one time and she walked up to the bar. She was probably in her 50s, but like very kind of regal in a way. And she was English. And I will not try to affect her accent because <laughs> I will butcher it. But she said, I'll have, I'll have a dry gin martini. Uh, very dry. Actually, no vermouth. Just not in the direction of France, as they say. Um, Alfred Hitchcock was quoted as saying, the closest I would get to a bottle of vermouth is to looking at it from across the room. Blah, 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 blah. So he did, he wanted a dry, dry, dry martini. He also wanted a dry martini. Julia Child 
liked what they called a reverse martini, which was Nolly Pratt vermouth, which is just a So she did not want to get too drunk. Exactly. She had too many too many cookbooks to edit. Exactly. She had too many chickens My in the 12 oven. 12-page baguette recipe was, needs to be edited once again. Well, I don't know why she had it. She wasn't British, but we can imagine her like so. Oliver Twist. Twist. Thank you. Olives or twist? Olives and a twist. Shaken or stirred? Stirred. I am a Frangelica tr- drinker. Oh. Frangelica with um, with with um, with seltzer. Oh. And seltzer and lime and and occasional maybe a lemon if you don't have lime. You could s- squeeze a little lemon into yeah. it. it. Gives it a nice little taste. And that was Craig from Yesterday's News, who, which is a wonderful antique store in Carroll Gardens. And if you need to get some old shakers or some fun martini glasses, you should go there. Absolutely. And he does not drink martinis, but it likes a Frangelico and soda, which is also pure class. Um, FDR traveled with his own martini kit, and he drank them like I do, and I thought I was the first one to do that. I drink my martinis, gin martini on the rocks with olives and a twist. Mm-hmm. And that's how FDR liked them, too. So uh, the Rat Pack, ever heard of him? Dean Martin in particular had a martini in his hand. Yeah. He was drinking, you know, that was his thing. Have the martini, he had his cigarette. He was like the cool the cool guy in the group there with the, with, with, with Frank Sinatra and, and Sammy Davis uh, Jr. And uh, we're said to have drank so many, so many vodka, martinis, vodka martinis at Chasen's in Los Angeles and Hollywood. That books into Pepe Ruiz invented the signature martini that had fino sherry and gin and a blazing hot flamed orange twist. Oh my gosh, a blazing hot flaming orange twist. That reminds me of the time in college, I or grad school or something, and we were lighting our our shot glasses on fire. Oh, really? And then we were like, oh, my God, look at this flaming, flaming. We were, Do you, you know, drink it while it's on fire? Well, I did. And I burned my lips. And I, had, I bet. I had, lip, I had burnt lips for about a week. What if you have a mustache? That's dangerous. I, one never knows. I think I did. It burnt off. It burnt off? I was in grad school. It was, it was the late 90s. It wasn't cool then to have a mustache. Oh, my God. Well, it's cool now. So, Breton... I mean, don't you think that's an interesting history of the martini? I feel like it's gone, it went, you know, gin went in and out of favor. I didn't realize, I guess I, you know what's so funny? What is? You know what's so funny about life? Tell me. I just kind of do, we just kind of do stuff and gloss over things. And every time, every day I think I know, every day I think I know everything. I think, I don't know anything about this. I know. It's really, 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 The more you know, the less you know. It's a long story with gin and some of the parts of the story that I thought were the most interesting was just the political kind of aspect about it. How like, well, what if there hadn't been a Dutch King, you know, in England and, uh, there was no one who ever wanted to bring gin over. I mean, there's a lot of other alcohols that were indigenous to different countries. For instance, like vodka, nobody even heard a thing, a peep about vodka except for in Poland and Russia until the 1900s. Nobody liked vodka, you know? Uh, still a lot of people don't like it. I don't really like vodka either, to be honest with you. I don't like it, but I also don't hate it. It just does nothing for me. No, it's medicine. I'll drink it in a martini if I don't want to get too drunk. I call drunk. it the prescription pill of alcohol. It's just, it does what it's supposed to do. You right. don't really taste it. Yeah. You know, everybody drinks a vodka soda. I'll have a it's vodka basic. soda. Yeah, it's basic, you know. It's fine, but I just, I thought that was interesting. And then I didn't realize, you know, gin is one of those things that a lot of people 
say they don't like. Like there's so it's, a lot of people in America, and I've bartended for a lot. Oh, I don't like. Oh, I, well, I like that cocktail. It has gin in it. So, can you make that with vodka? No, try it with gin. And, yeah, it has a stigma attached to it, which I never really realized why until I really started researching the story. And you know, all kinds of old bad blood in there. There's a lot of bad blood. Like there's a lot of crazed energy that comes from it. And I guess I didn't realize that's because there was fucking turpentine in it. That's why people are still. When I was in when I was in college again, there I used to I had a fake ID and I bought a bottle of Bombay Sapphire gin and I yeah. kept it in and I would make a martini for myself and I would keep it under my bed. Yeah. And I wasn't an alcoholic. I just back then I was in college, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm spending twenty dollars on a bottle. Back then it was twenty or eighteen yeah. bucks and I'm like, I'm not sharing this with my alcoholic roommates. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> they can just have their uh Bushmills, yeah, and beast beer, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and then it became very sexy, obviously, as we learned when with uh, you know, the introduction to cinema. You know, it was a thing in pop culture, or the rap pack. Then, uh, then it's ag- still a thing now. People it is are just kind of like all of a martini. Well, I think it became popular again, really, because of Mad Men. Yes, I forgot about. You that. know, I think Mad Men became a thing, and people really. You know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons we could kind of sit here all day, but I think one of the things that pushed people back in the direction of classics in general in pop culture today is Mad Men. And I think martinis were a huge part of it. Yeah. People, okay, so there is a funny, funny thing. When I used to bartend at Lupa Restaurant, and this bartender named Scott, he lives in Burlington, Vermont now, and he was just a real sharp, witty uh, dry humor, dry wit, very Dorothy Parker. Mm-hmm. And people would, you know, people from Long Island would come in on a Friday night, be like, excuse me, what kind of martinis do you have? And he'd say, Bombay Sapphire, Tanqueray, Hendrix. And they said, those are just types of gin. He said, exactly. You asked me what type of martinis I make. And he said, that is a gin martini. <laughs> yeah. But then there's Long Island. Well, and a lot of other places lot, that excuse, have martini lists. Excuse me. I'm not I'm not making fun of anybody. And yeah, I mean, espresso martinis, I'm not. I have a question for you. So let's say you weren't with Preston and you were on a first date and someone, it's going really well, like everything's mm-hmm. awesome. You're like, wow, really hitting off with this guy. You sit down for dinner. You're at a, at, let's say you're at Keen's. Uh, and he orders a fabulous old school steakhouse here in Midtown in in Manhattan. It's one of the oldest restaurants in the country. They have a pipe room. They do. They have all these crazy pipes hanging from the ceiling. It's amazing. And I'll tell you a little, little anecdote about Keen's in a moment. But, um, so you're at dinner at Keen's, everything's going great. You sit down, the guy orders an espresso martini with dinner. Deal breaker? Mm, Before we eat dinner? Yes. You know, there's a lot of other factors involved. What if? He, but I would definitely judge it. What if he also starts reciting famous Jim Carrey quotes from it's like over. different movies? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> from Dumb and Dumber only, <laughs> only from Dumb and Dumber. It's over. Oh my god! Let's say you and Bratton weren't together, and oh, you were like out on a date. Everything was going perfect. It's like right. really awesome. You guys are vibing, chilling. You're like, this is fucking great. I love yeah. this person. And then they order an espresso martini with dinner. I would, uh, I would go along with it for a minute. Really? Even yeah. If he, an espresso martini, maybe. Even if he was like, "Oh it, my god, I love these. You got to try it." <laughs> Have a sip. Hey, everybody's got their thing, right? 
So what Brandon, if he's a male model and does it? Uh, well, no, that, that would make sense. Yeah. That would actually like add up. What, what if, if he, he's paying for dinner? Well then, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll have an espresso martini yeah, too. Yeah, make espresso make martini. it a double. Make it make, give us bring us a picture of them. So, Breton, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. You know, on this show, we like to talk about our superlatives, our favorite things, our top of the top of the rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week for our top, top three, I have two top three questions. Okay. First top three question: Where are your top three places in New York City or beyond to drink? A gin martini. Okay, beyond. Ready? Number one, in Madison, Wisconsin. <gasps> you can sit at the bar. It's called the Tornado Club. Oh, you sent me mm-hmm. a picture. It's it looks the tornado so cool. Room. It's, it's, on, it's on Capitol Hill up in Madison, Wisconsin. It's a tiny little bar owned by a man named Henry Henry Doan. And it was, the restaurant's really cool. It was original inside. He did some changes, but it had that old wood paneling. It's very like mid-century modern. Ooh. I mean, the place is Hi-ya. gorgeous. And you can sit at that bar. I mean, these fabulous bar. It's kind of very dark inside. Nice. And I think gin martinis are $9 full what? price. And there are so many ounces of gin. Last time we went there, I I had to drive back and I thought, I can only, <laughs> I, can, I can have half of this. Yeah. So that's my number one. And they have blue cheese stuffed olives. Oh my Which, gosh. That's the thing. Let's the blue cheese blue cheese stuff always became very popular in New York. And when I moved here, because I'm from Wisconsin and that was just a normal thing in yeah. Chicago. I lived there, Chicago. Chicago had a lot and people in New York would be like, oh, that's disgusting. I would <gasps> never and now they're everywhere. There's the city's littered with them. Littered with blue cheese. Back. Yeah. Well, well I okay, can't help so but agree with that. Tornado Club and Gramsci Tavern. Okay. Gramsci I've never Tavern. had a martini there. Well, you know what? I've only been once for lunch back in the day. And then I would say the third. Wait, where's Gramercy Tavern? At? Gramercy Tavern is in in Gramercy Park neighborhood, uh, which is on 20th Street. Oh, you Park do at- go above Houston Street. Yes, I do. Yes, it's Found cool. out. And my favorite other place to have a martini in the city. You know what? I like a place like Forlini's. <gasps> I love I Forlini's, Forlini's. Is, in, is on the It's the in Chinatown, place. basically. Like Chinatown slash Little Italy, but it's in Chinatown. Yeah. It's right by the courthouse. It's an amazing it's old on, school it's Italian on place. Vietnamese street. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's like tiny. It's the one stretch of street with Vietnamese restaurants mm-hmm. on it. Forlini's is an amazing place ripped straight out of time from like I the 50s. I wish they didn't have so many televisions in the front. That's Agreed. A lot of places added this later. I but feel you. The dining room. It's has these these old gaudy paintings that it's, are hanging on the ceiling, booths with it's just big giant chandeliers. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. That's a fun That's fun a, place. Are, okay. What about you? What are your three favorite? Oh, places? Breton. Well, you know my number one favorite place to get a martini is definitely Keen's. So mm-hmm. as we mentioned, Keen's one, one of the oldest restaurants in New York City. Uh, one time when I was at the bar at Keen's. I heard an anecdote that really stuck with me forever. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you have already heard it, but so two old timers are behind me chatting with themselves about what to get. And they go, you know what? Martinis are like, are like boobs. One's not enough. Three, three are too many. too many, which I think is funny. P.S. Ladies out there, one boob. If you've lost a breast, one boob is perfectly enough, but yeah, it's yeah. still a funny joke. You know what? No boobs are perfectly enough. Yeah, that's great. But you it's know, I guess the point is, Three is a lot. So three martinis is a lot. I agree. It is. So 
I also love, love, love to get a martini at Bamonti's, which is my mm. very favorite old school Italian place. Finger stirred everything. That's right. Just And you know what? You know what I love about the bartender there? What? You order a martini and he throws the olives in. Mm-hmm. He doesn't put them on a fancy skewer. He's like, get in so there. He's like, throw them in. You have to like put your mouth behind the glass <laughs> to catch that like half ounce <laughs> spill that might happen. <laughs> Um, and my third favorite place to get a martini is a place that we go all the time. It's Henry Public. Henry, of course. I mean, that's a given. I love it. Although I will put this out there. Castle Vetrano olives and a martini are not my favorite. But I still love to go there. But I still like them. Yeah. I still, I love going to Henry Public. It's in Cobble Hill. Marty works there. We go there all the time. It's just such a wonderful, it's, there's some place, something about a good bar, right? That, uh, if you can appreciate alcohol in a certain way where it's a positive way and it's adding to your life and not, you know, hurting you. Um, there's something about going into a bar that you love that feels like an old comfy pair of shoes or old pair of slippers. You know, Mm -hmm. you go in and the cheers mentality of everybody knowing your name is like a real thing. That's how I really like to get my alone time. Cause it's like being alone in public. I don't know. It's like having alone time and social time at the same time. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, too, we're we're lucky in New York that when we go out, more often than not, you not to say that you end up running into somebody and having Mm -hmm. a whole interaction with them and spending your evening with them. But you can go out, you know, the other night I went to Frankie's and you were sitting at the bar. Yeah. You could hit uh, um, Frankie's bar, Frankie's 457 bar your name because everybody knows your name that's the song ding 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 anyway so uh really love henry public and some martinis and a french fry or some french fries and a martini really go well you together. know what that is a very good com- combination yeah french so that, that's what else i was going to ask you what are the three what are your top three favorite foods that go with Okay, whenever whenever I go out for martinis, whenever I go out for martinis. Now I am talking a long time ago in Wisconsin. We got this thing Friday night fish fry. Okay, so Friday night you finish work. Just kidding, I work in the restaurant business, so I start work, and <laughs> you actually already are starting work on Wednesday, and you're working straight through till Sunday. It's but Friday is the kind of the beginning. Yeah, you know. But if you don't, you know, if you have a job and you work during the week, you get off of work. And it's Friday night in Wisconsin, and you go and you sit down at the bar, and you get a fish fry. You get fried fish and yeah. French fry. It's just side on a Friday night fish fry, you know. Catholic, yeah, a little Catholics. Cool, you know. Cool. Uh, I all, but I love oysters. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't know why, but I don't. The weird thing is, you would think, oh, that's gonna ruin your palate, right? It doesn't. And it doesn't. And they say, oh my god, gin's the worst thing. I used to go in college, and I used to go to this bar. In, again, sorry, I'm obsessed with Madison, Wisconsin. If you no. haven't been to Madison, Wisconsin, you have I to haven't go. Been. It's fabulous. There are these two fabulous women. They're a couple, and they own the restaurant Gretchen and Anna, and it's Greenbush. It's an old Italian. It was the old <gasps> Italian workmen's club for uh, real, and they bought it years ago. And the Pete's place. Yeah, and you go downstairs, and it's one of those like basement bars with low ceilings. And it's super fabulous with Christmas lights, and you just order a martini, uh, and you get 
something to start. You know, you got a little salad, Caesar salad. Yay! And then you get your big pizza. And I'm kind of one of those people that can kind of have a martini through the night. Uh, agreed. I could I could sip on a martini, on a couple of martinis throughout the night, too. Mm-hmm. So the chef also recommends to have a martini. Um, I like a martini with a big old steak. I mean, that doesn't oh, make me unique. But that made me think of the blue cheese. Oh, gosh. Blue cheese stuffed olive martini. I mean, that's some classic, like, that's on some Chicago gangster Al Capone shit. Onion rings. Onion rings. A steak. A delicious steak. With some kind of that's slathered like, so and butter, Chicago. Uh, cream spinach, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. bar, uh, giant martini with blue cheese stuffed olives. This is sounding real good, right? Should we go? I feel like we're just we're yapping now because we've had martinis. We're like, oh my gosh, wait, and four like, more hours of this podcast is going to be martini <laughs> time, <laughs> and suddenly it's going to be four in the morning. And we're going to be like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fuck out. I like the thing that's funny. I really like a martini with like oh, Dotino's wait. pizza rolls and like a tombstone pizza like on top. Listen, I want to bring back. Here's what I want to bring back. Please. Here's the, sorry, to finish this off, there's two things that are coming back. Choco Tacos and uh, <laughs> Totino's Pizza Rolls. But made, they don't have to be made. This is what I realized when I made my seven-layer dip. Uh-huh. I w- tried to get a little fancy. And Preston, my domestic partner and boyfriend, he's kind of was like a little, he's like, this isn't really seven-layer dip. I'm like, I know, I use real cilantro, but she so I put mint in it. I tried to like really up the game. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes at the next day, I kind of thought, you know what? I should have just like stuck with like the basic. Right. Salsa. It was really good. It was a it very was delicious. good. It was a very good dip. But I know like there was something. I took nostalgia away and then it made me think of what were we talking about? Martinis. Oh, Tutina's, Tutina's. <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry. Is it 2018? Uh, producer? Sorry. It's 2017. Oh, no. 2018. Yes. Yes. Of course. Uh, and Totino's Pizza Rolls. But you can make it better with the good ingredients and still keep the nostalgia and kill, you know. Yeah, Preston you wanted me to use taco seasoning. Oh, but, Preston. And then I Get thought, it together, Preston. Well, I do, it, MSG does add a je ne sais quoi. Yeah, it does. You know. But, it, the quoi is MSG. Yeah. <laughs> the je ne sais. <laughs> Excuse me. We know the quoi already, all right? Everybody, let's get with the program. Breton, can I ask you a question? <laughs> the our our side podcast is called Breton. Can I ask you a question? Breton, can I ask you a question, Breton? Oh, oh my God, there's a Breton. Can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. <laughs> Where are we? No, I'm just kidding. I've had too many uh, martinis. July. What's tw- my name? No, it's um, July. It's June fifteenth, twenty seventeen. So going kind of going back to what we were talking about before about um you know midnight in Paris and Hemingway and talking about all the fabulous people that have drank martinis throughout the ages. If you could go back to any time, where, when, who, what, why, what have you shared a martini with? I would have had a martini with Frederic Chopin. Wow. Who probably had tuberculosis, was too weak to drink martini. He'd probably have a sip and was like, you're boring and cold. (laughs) (laughs) Get out, get away. And I'm like, I came all the way back. Bill and Ted's excellent picture. I came all this way just to like you tell me that I'm in dummy head. <laughs> I think I would have wanted to have a martini with, you know what? I would have had a martini with Jacques Gabor. <gasps> Jacques. 
I would have had a martini with Fanny Craddock. Oh, that's a good one. Oh my God, imagine if it and was she's me. she's like, uh, Breton, you're, uh, uh, you're stupid. First. She would have just covered the martini in icing sugar. I'd like slap, I was like, slap me, Franny, slap me. Tell me I'm a dummy head. Would have you had sex with Fanny Craddock? No, but she is a man. So yeah. maybe. <laughs> well, anyway, my, my name is Jaja Gabor. Jaja Gabor. Jaja, how old are you? And she's like, I'll only tell you. Do we know how old she was? I think she was like either 13 or 97. Yeah. It's anybody's guess. I think my number one person that I would like to have a martini with is my grandfather uh, mm. from my, my dad's dad. He passed away when I was, pro- I don't think I was even one yet. So I there are pictures of us together, but I don't, yeah. I don't remember him. And he... He was born in like 1910 and like lived through a, a tornado when he was like a few years old oh and like gosh. would tell stories about that. And then he served in World War II and like lived through the Depression and just like a really incredible, incredible guy. Like didn't have a, a proper education, um, like had a sixth or seventh grade education, wow. but like finished second in his class uh, of officer cadet school. Um, in World War II. So like he was a very bright guy, but just, you know, kind of salt of the earth. And I would have loved to love to have known him. So, Breton. Okay. One last question before one we go. Breton, can I Bre- ask you a question? Oh, my God. This is like. Breton, I'd like to ask you something. Is that okay? Would you mind? Go would you ahead. mind answering my question? For a mystery vegetable of the week this week, um, I thought it would be appropriate to ask you, what varietal of olive do we find typically in martinis? The varietal of olive, typically. Typically. Oh my god! Look at me. I'm like drunk. I'm like <gasps> you're hiccuping, <laughs> and your leg is up. I can see your penis. Manzanilla. No, it's actually a vagina. <laughs> it's a sex. I got a temporary sex change. They're like temporary tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> they put it back the next day. Guys, we we're <laughs> <laughs> temporary. Ta- a temporary vagina tattoo. Yeah. Really cool. Cheers, Breton. I love you. Cheers. Life truly is a banquet. Truly is a banquet. Don't bruise the gin. Don't bruise the gin. Holding a martini makes you look fancier. It does. It's very simple, straight line, and some people like simple and straight line. It's like anything else. Everybody has has uh, different tastes in in what they enjoy, whether it be furniture or whether it be food or. Or as we talked about in the beginning of this interview, uh, liquor. It's sexy. Yeah, there's, what is it? It's very, it's a very sexy drink. It's both, it both, it has both a penis and a vagina. <laughs> as I'm gazing at it. It does. It, it does, especially the twist and the olives. Two olives, yeah. Two olives, olives and, and like a twist. And making a scrotum, uh, the testicular. Were you saying organs. that the vagina is like the glass part, and then the stem is the, stem the penis? Is the shaft, yeah. It does have yeah. a penis and a vagina. Thank you, Justin Amanda. Thank okay, you, perfect. guys. Thanks. Enjoy. Cheers. <laughs> there are so many different ways to drink it, so knowing how you want to drink it is very important. I was sitting at the bar at Frankie's, which I, I think you've probably been there. <laughs> I, I think I've heard of it. Yeah. Once or twice. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. And I ran into a good friend of mine uh, who used to live in the neighborhood, Tara. Okay. She is, uh, used to work at uh, Carbonus Sommelier. And we were, this was probably about a year ago, and 
as you did at that time uh, in you know 2017, we inevitably Back in the day. started talking about politics, uh. and we're just kind of you know lamenting uh, certain things. Mm-hmm. And I I made some comment as to well, you know, that's why you can't trust Trump. He doesn't drink. Yeah. And she said, I know. She was like, Obama drinks. Yeah. Obama drank martinis when he came to Carbone. <gasps> and then she said, you know what? I think Obama drank Plymouth martinis no. when he came to Carbone. And I don't know if he ordered it that way or if that's just how they made it. But I was, at that point, I was like, I'm done. Oh, my God. Can... Explain my face right now. I'm like. <laughs> she is. Uh, she looks happy. That's and so fun. I know. I love to know it. Oh, I would, Obama. I would give, I would give a lot to be able to have a martini with oh Barack Obama. Barack, <laughs> if you're listening, I would love to buy you a martini. All of our episodes are recorded right here at Studio 54 at the heart of Fort, Fort Green, Green, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Our rock star, award-winning sound editor and producer is Christine Farrell. I'm Zara Tangora, and I'm Bretton Scott. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 